May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. If you watch the news, or if you listen to most politicians, a lot of what they talk about is designed to evoke in us a sense of fear. Fear sells. And it's great for getting people to vote for you. If you vote for this party, our opposition, these are all the terrible things that will happen. We have to pass these laws because unless we do, these terrible things will happen. Every party does it. And if you listen to the news, so much of it evokes a sense of fear in us. We should be afraid of so much fear selves. You don't get a lot of good news stories on the news. Bad news and fear, that's, that's where the money is. And so that leaves us with a sense that there is a lot in this world to trouble us, to evoke fear in us. In this country, if you watch the news, there's home invasions and crime, there's terrible driving, there's terrible alcohol statistics, there's the ongoing financial struggle, there's the threat of natural disasters, and the all-important one, of course, will the All Blacks win the World Cup next year? <laughs> and if we look at the world around us, there's the rise of militant and radical Islam, with its great, its best face, best is probably not the right word, in the Islamic State, that's the most public face of it. There's climate change, there's the ongoing financial struggle, Ebola, refugees, I could go on. And all of those things can and do cripple us with fear. We become a people too afraid to live our lives because of all that is around us that evokes fear within us. And we are left unsure and unable to do anything, left feeling hopeless and fearful and powerless and stuck. Today's readings were written out of a time exactly like this and for such people feeling hopeless and fearful and powerless and stuck. The reading we heard from Isaiah is, comes from right at the end of the book of Isaiah and the book of Isaiah can be chopped up into three bits. So first Isaiah, which is about the first 40 chapters, is written... Uh, before the fall of Jerusalem and before the exile. And, and that's when the, the real Isaiah, that's his work. But then it's thought there was a school of prophets that carried his prophecies on and reinterpreted them for new situations. And so we have second Isaiah, which was written during the time of the exile. It's written for exiles, people who have already experienced the destruction of Jerusalem and the Jewish elite have been taken away to Babylon to live in a foreign land. That's 2nd Isaiah. And then 
from about where we read the last few chapters from chapter 60 on is thought to be 3rd Isaiah and it's written after the exile. It's clearly written for people who have returned home. But their return home is not as they expected it. When they returned home they expected to be welcomed with open arms because what they were the Jewish elite, they were the leaders and these poor people who had been left behind had been leaderless. But it turns out the leaderless ones had got on quite fine without the Jewish elite and weren't so enthusiastic to see all these leaders from long ago return and weren't waving banners and welcoming them in the streets. Not only that, but all these foreigners had come and started living in the land as well and, well, they weren't even a little bit enthusiastic to see the Jewish elite return home. So the welcome that they had expected did not eventuate. And when they were living in Babylon, they had great visions of returning home and restoring Jerusalem to its former glory. To its former glory in terms of being on the trade routes and so therefore wealthy and being prosperous and safe and secure and comfortable. More safe and secure and comfortable than they were in Babylon, but the reality was so different. This was a not really a city anymore. The walls were gone, the temple was gone was constantly open to raiding, and they lived a hard life. This was not how it was supposed to be. And so we hear this morning from the passage from Isaiah this heartfelt cry of despair, which if you boil it down is, this is not how it's supposed to be. Life is far too hard. The promised land doesn't seem to hold a lot of promise. And in the midst of all of that, the prophet reminds the people who hear this prayer, and it really is a prayer, that life is only found in God. God's mercy, God's love, God's action. And that all their efforts amount to nothing. They need God. Yes, they are powerless. That's how it's supposed to be. It's God who will rescue them. And it will be God who will change this situation. But more importantly, that as God changes that situation and God's life works in them, it will change them as well. And then we heard from Mark. Well, that's a surprise, isn't it? We've been listening to Matthew for the last year, but suddenly we're back into Mark, so it must be a new year. And it is Advent 1, first Sunday of a new church year. And so because it's a new church year, we have a new gospel, Mark. And so we'll be focusing more or less on Mark for most of the year, although Mark is a lot shorter than the other gospels, so there's going to be big chunks when we're going to have to go off and find some gospel readings from somewhere else. Probably John, to be honest. Because he doesn't get a he doesn't get a year of his own. You have to kind of chuck him in wherever there's some gaps somewhere else. So we get Mark, and Mark was writing to people living in a world where Jerusalem, the city of God, the city which was really the centre of so much of the Jesus story, where it all kind of culminated and was the sign of the hope and promise of God. This city was gone obliterated off the face of the earth. The Roman legions had been through there 
and destroyed it. Pulled down the walls, destroyed the temple. And all Jews had been banished from the promised land, scattered around the known world. He was writing to a people who lived in the world in a world where all non-Romans and all the Roman poor lived under the heel of the Roman elite and the Roman legions. It was a hard world. And we start in Mark where we left off in Matthew at the end in Jesus' all-important last speech. All-important because well, if your last speech in your recorded biography wasn't any good, no one was going to take much notice of everything that came before it. This is the kind of crunch moment, really. So it is the all-important speech, and it's the last instructions about how to live beyond the death of the person in the biography, in this case, Jesus. So in the Gospel, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and... Uh, and those disciples' expectations are about to take a real beating because they expected Jesus to restore the kingdom of Israel. But Jesus instead dies on the cross, and that's not what was expected. And through Mark, Jesus is addressing Mark's community and struggling to understand why it is that Jerusalem could fall. And, and life was so much harder as followers of the way than they really thought it should be because, well, they were the followers of God, so surely life should be a whole lot easier. And even more important than that was, it's said in the Gospel that Jesus was going to return before this generation had passed away, but this generation was passing away at a rapid rate of knots, and still Jesus had not come. None of their expectations were being realised. And to those people and to those unexpected unrealized expectations we hear Jesus words these last words are God's words to us in Advent and they are words of challenge and they are words of judgment and kind of mixed up in the midst of these words are these two themes of watching for the signs of the impending end and we're in it for the long haul. So they, you kind of wonder how he even held those two together. Surely Mark and all of the gospel writers should have just picked. Like it's either impending end or in it for the long haul. But they held those two together. We are to watch for the signs of the impending end. And we're in it for the long haul. And to do this, like other gospel writers and John in Revelation, he uses... The apocalyptic style of writing, which too often we take literally. But it's not really supposed to be taken literally. It's a grand style of writing that paints grand pictures that offer hope. That help reorientate people to kind of jumpstart them out of their hopelessness and despair and to see the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is, yes, life is hard. Yes, our expectations aren't being met. Yes, it seems hopeless, but beyond it all, God is in charge. Beyond it all, God is working to bring in God's reign of justice and love. So stay awake. 
Keep alert. Keep looking out for those signs. It's the same hope that's offered in Isaiah. And it's the same hope we're invited to hold on to today. And key to this is that Mark invites his hearers to pay attention to the events happening around us. Too many Christians kind of take hold of the apocalyptic style of writing and think, well, they're all just signs of the end, so I really don't have to take much notice of them. I can hide away in my own little Christian world and work very hard to remain untainted by everything that's happening and ignore what's happened in the rest of the world. But Mark is actually saying the exact opposite. We are to pay attention to everything that is happening in our world. And we are to see the little moments of hope, the little sprouts of hope in all of those situations. We are not to be driven by fear, but we are to see the signs of hope. Hope. We are in a new church year, which means we're in Advent. And Advent is all about growing in hope and peace and joy and love, which reminds me actually we didn't light the Advent candles. So we'll do that in a minute. So I'm well out of practice. It's been way too busy this morning. And so we are, through Mark, invited to be alert, to become people of hope. So what does that mean, reality? Well, we could, for example, with the rise of the Islamic State, become overwhelmed by fear of Muslims in general and what's happening, and uh, begin to see Muslims as terrible people that we should fear and despise and kind of hold at arm's length. Or we could go the route of hope and actually learn about Muslims in this country, in the city, and see what they're doing. Uh, use the opportunities that we have to get to know them and to see the work that they do and to see the signs of hope that are there. Another example is that we could be overwhelmed by the poverty of the world and then ignore it and carry on with our normal Christmas. Or we could, instead, look at all the ways that people are working to bring hope to those situations and join in that work in the way that we prepare for our Christmas. Think about where we buy our Christmas presents from. Think about where we buy our Christmas food from and buy in a way that does not add to the poverty of others through mass-produced products from factories overseas, but actually look for fair trade items and items that are um, made ethically, where companies work hard to improve their workers' lot. And uh, in our food preparation, looking to find food that is uh, from farms that are run well, where animal welfare is important, rather than just providing the cheapest product for the customer. Advent is also about preparing for Christmas. Christmas is the story that we know oh so well. 
And there's the problem. We know it too well and not well enough. And because we know it so well, it no longer surprises us and it no longer shocks us. But it should shock us. It should be shocking that God, all-powerful, comes to us in a baby. That's a ridiculous idea. That God, all-powerful, the creator of all things, is present in the world as a helpless, naked baby born to a poor family. That is a shocking idea. But we're so used to that story that Christmas has become all about babies and families and it just makes us feel warm and fuzzy inside. Which is okay, but it's so much more than that. The trouble is, our expectations continue to get in the way. Just as they got in the way of the returning exiles. Just as they got in the way for the disciples. Just as they got in the way to Mark's community. So, in Advent, we are invited to use this time to let go of our expectations. And to prepare ourselves to be taken by surprise by the Christmas story. To be shocked by the Christmas story. And to allow that surprise and shock to shape us and to mould us to be the people of God. A people who dare to hope despite all the evidence. So may this Advent we grow in becoming people of hope.